as we know very well there is no year in india which is not heavily political all years are heavily political but even by those standards the year which we just started 2023 is among the most political or promises to be among the most political the reason being we know that the general election is next year but before the general election the year leading up to that general election what happens in this year has a bearing on what happens the following year so major states 10 states are going for the polls this year really matter karnataka telangana rajasthan madhya pradesh chatisgarh together these add up to a little more than 100 seats in fact as i speak you will see the number of lok sabha seats listed against each state so you will see madhya pradesh karnataka rajasthan chatisgarh and telangana so these are the major states that are going to the polls this year these are also very important because the bjp has stakes in each one in some they've been in power in some they are in power say in madhya pradesh and karnataka they are already in power they are incumbents in rajasthan and chatisgarh they've been in power in the past and they are hoping that anti incumbency this time will work in their favor and telangana is a state where they would believe that they've pushed out the congress party already from the number 2 position and they are in a position to challenge kcr's power so just what they, they had tried say in west bengal with mamta banerji they will try this year in telangana as well so together these four states account for 110 seats as you as you've seen on my screen just a minute back bjp will be hoping to do better and better in these because if if it suffers setbacks it will it will harm its momentum going ahead now we know that there is no direct correlation we know that in the year leading up to the last general election that is in the year of 2018 the bjp had lost some of these key states initially they had lost all three of these major hindi heartland states that is chatisgarh madhya pradesh and 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 rajasthan and before that they had lost karnataka as well although on points right and yet and yet they swept all those states in lok sabha elections so there is no direct correlation but there is a morale issue there is a resources issue because it's not as if you worry that your party's morale will go down because if narendra modi is on the ticket then bjp workers and bjp's morale will be up in 2024 no question about it but it's also the morale of the challengers it's also the morale of the opposition and it's also the ability of the opposition to get resources because you need power to collect resources right now if you look at the congress party they have two two, two few state governments from where they can raise resources bjp has a bunch of them other regional parties have their own so 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 to retain the states that bjp already has that is karnataka and madhya pradesh is very important for them vitally important for them and similarly to push congress out of the states that congress took away from them that's rajasthan and chatisgarh is also vital and and once again telangana is going to have a special importance for the bjp because this is the second southern state where they've already established their presence quite a powerful presence and they would like to expand on it because right now their southern foothold is confined to karnataka so you know what happens with indian politics the more you start reading the more you figure out that you don't know and the more you figure that you don't know the more curious you get and once again you are exposed again and again as maybe an ignoramus i don't mean you i i mean 
myself. I'm referring to myself. So we in Delhi also, we focus so much on the Hindi heartland politics that our knowledge of southern politics is relatively much poorer. So as I started reading up on the southern states and talking to my colleagues, T.K. Singh, our political editor, and also Sharon, our Bengaluru correspondent, I realized how fascinating Karnataka politics is and how little do I know about Karnataka. Now, Karnataka is the first major state to go for these elections in this coming year. BJP is in power. It's a very uneasy stint in power. BJP wrested power from the Congress-JDS combined. You would remember that last election, BJP had got the largest number of seats, but not enough to have a majority. So JDS and Congress combined and they, and they pushed BJP out of power. But BJP, in the course of time, got their revenge. They broke up MLAs from both parties, got them to resign. Later, they won. most of them won their by-elections and BJP has ruled the state since then, although BJP has not been stable. BJP was never happy with the chief minister, who was the most deserving candidate for the job, Mr. Yadiyurappa. So they got rid of him. The high command doesn't like him. They've given him some kind of a sinecure in the parliamentary board of the party. And they appointed a chief minister of their own, that is Mr. Bomai. Mr. Bomai's performance, if anything, has been underwhelming. So the BJP has a problem in Karnataka. Karnataka is important for the BJP, not just because Karnataka has 28 states. Remember in 2018 also, the BJP had not won Karnataka despite incumbency work in its favor because Congress was the incumbent then. And yet, in the Lok Sabha elections that followed, BJP had its best score ever. It won 25 out of 28. In fact, 28, if you also count a candidate in Mandya, in South Mysore, that is Suman Lata, the independent supported by the BJP. So they won 26 of 28 states. So they may not need to worry so much about Lok Sabha elections as long as Narendra Modi keeps his sway with the voters. But, but to lose the only state they have in the South will be a big setback. Also, Karnataka is a resource-rich state. So they don't want to lose it. They don't want to lose it. They also don't want to hand it over to the Congress party because that's also a state in which Congress leaders have resources already. And that's why you've seen a lot of the BJP activity, the BJP agencies against these Congress leaders, particularly DK Shivkumar, and also Congress's leaders who have their own bases within their caste groups or within their identity groups. So what is the BJP doing? The BJP's big problem, three things will be on test for the BJP in these four elections. One, it is the quality of leadership that the BJP has in these states. In each one of these four, they either have very weak leadership with which it's difficult for them to go to the polls, as for example, with Mr. Bomai in Karnataka, or they have a leader who's there, who has his own sway, but who they don't particularly like, if I may say so, I am taking the liberty of saying so. That is, say, Shivra Singh Chauhan in Madhya Pradesh. He is quite a, quite a sizable leader in his own right. He carries a lot of weight. Given half a chance, on all evidence, BJP High Command would have preferred to project someone else in his place. But would they, would they have that option? Would they risk it? That's a, that's a call they'll have to take later this year, but I think that will be a tough call for them to take. Ultimately, they might have no choice and they might figure that the wisdom lies in sticking with him. Again, Rajasthan, BJP is not in power, but the most preeminent leader there is somebody BJP High Command doesn't like, that is Vasundra Raja. So what will they do? Will they project Narendra Modi as the face, even in assembly elections? That, mind you, has its own risks because 
how many times are you going to encash the same check? Would you encash it first in the state election and then wait also for parliament elections? Or will you then hold back, hold it back in your pocket, safe for parliament elections? The same dilemma the BJP will face in Chhattisgarh. Chhattisgarh also, it does not like Raman Singh, who was chief minister multiple number of times in the past, thrice in the past, but they don't have another leader. So that again will be a tough call. But Karnataka, if you look at Karnataka, because if Karnataka is lost, it will just set up this year really very badly for the BJP. And BJP has now realized three problems I told you. First problem, the quality of leadership. Second problem is the performance of their governments where the BJP is incumbent. That is a problem because in Karnataka in particular, that is seen as very poor. So poor that BJP high command itself is not talking about some great performance of their state government. They'd rather take the debate away from it. And we'll talk about this in a bit of detail as we go along. And the third thing, the third issue that will be tested on which BJP will be, will be tested big time is the use of the Hindutva card in the South. The Hindutva card or the polarization card has worked in the Hindi heartland in the Western states, Maharashtra, Gujarat. To some extent, it worked in Bengal as well because it got them a lot of votes. It has been working in Karnataka. Can it now work in Telangana? And can it work in Karnataka even when their government's performance, their incumbent government's performance is nothing to write home about? So these will be the three things that will be tested in these elections. Quality of leadership and who, who, who do they want? Quality of governance and delivery where they've been in power. And three, use of the Hindutva card or the Hindutva agenda in the South. Does it work as well in the South? as it has worked in the Hindi heartland and the western states, in the key western states. Those three things. Now, if you look at Karnataka, the signals already are that BJP is now actively and feverishly shifting the debate away from performance, from their own government, their record in governance, to purely identity. So first bit of that identity, the overarching bit is Hindutva, the religion, polarization. So you have the BJP party chief in the state, uh, that is Nalin Katil, Natil, Nalin Katil, the state BJP president. He's a firebrand. He gave a speech in Bangalore, where he obviously welcomed the move to ban PFI, etc. And he said it saved, saved the lives of many Hindu activi activists. But then, then he said something else very interesting. And I quote from his speech. He says, and I quote from his speech or the translation that I got of his speech from Kannada to, uh, to English. I told them not to talk about roads, gutters, drains, and other small issues. If the issue concerning your children's lives, like love jihad, have to be stopped, then we need the BJP to form the government. So once again, this is not to say that we were in power all these years. See what have we given you. Give, give, give us five more years. We'll give you more of this because they don't have that much to talk about. So it's all about Hindutva once again. And once again, the BJP Home Minister in Delhi and the second most preeminent leader in the party after Narendra Modi, Amit Shah went to Mandya. And there also he said, you make a choice. Either you vote, either you want to vote for those who built the Ram Temple and who developed Varanasi and Badrinath temple sites, etc., holy sites, etc., or you want to be with those who glorify Tipu Sultan or, or with the Tukade Tukade gang. You want to be with Tukade Tukade gang or you want to be with Patriot. So once again, you can see that the line is the same. The line is the same. It's polarization. It's religious identity. That is the overarching thing. Again, again, the BJP leader and MP, 
Tejasvi Surya, who's quite an articulate and firebrand young leader in Karnataka, he created quite a scene in Mysuru where he said the bus terminus, it had domes that made it look like an Islamic structure. And he said, unless you break it down, we will break it down. So you demolish it or we will have to demolish it. And then overnight, the municipal corporation came and demolished it. Lo and behold, right? Once again, the same idea. Halal meat has become another polarizing issue. So BJP MLC, that is member of legislative council, he said in the council that he wants to move a private member's bill to ban food certi certification by any institution except FSSAI. FSSAI, as you know, is an institution of the government which, which, which certifies food standards, but it does not certify what is halal, what is not halal. That is done by certain Islamic entities, which also earn some revenue as a result from it. So what he did in what he did in the Legislative Council was to turn this also into a Hindu-Muslim issue. Then last year in March during Ugadi festival, that's a, that, that's a big festival in Karnataka. There were calls given. There were calls given to boycott halal meats, and before that, we already had the hijab controversy. Now, identity in Karnataka, we are focusing much more on Karnataka this time and other states we'll talk about as we go along in the course of the weeks because it's a long political year. Again, to shift attention, the overarching entity is Hindu, Hindu versus Muslim, and then Kannadiga versus the rest, in which case BJP is taking big risks because who are the neighboring states with whom Karnataka might have issues? These are neighboring states in Karnataka, towards Karnataka's north. These are Goa. And these are Maharashtra. With Maharashtra, the issue is well known. That is the Belgaum issue. That Belgaum or Belgavi issue has now sort of blown up. Both states have sharpened their knives and looks like, looks like it's a little bit out of control because it's impossible either for the Maharashtra government, which is run by the BJP, never mind the rebel Shiv Sena chief minister and Karnataka. In none of the states can BJP tell its government or party to calm down because in both states, it's a sens sensitive issue. But Karnataka, it's a more urgent issue. At the same time, the party seems to have figured that this Karnataka versus Maharashtra thing can go out of control. So they've come up with something else where the protesting side again is a BJP-run state. That is Goa, but it's a small state and they think Goa is more manageable. That is the Mahadai River project. Mahadai River, Mahadai is the name for what is called as Mandavi River in Goa. And Goa looks very large. It starts somewhere in Karnataka, then comes through Karnataka. It has many tributaries. So this is a plan of a project to dam two of the tributaries. They are a bit, a bit like oversized, over, oversized nalas. Two of the tributaries of Mahadai, or what is ultimately called Mandavi. Karnataka government has had the plan to dam them, to provide, to bring drinking water to many districts in dry, water-starved North Karnataka. There is something that we don't realize very often. When you, when you ask dry areas, arid zones, deserts, deserts, all right. Desert, desert is only Rajasthan and partly Gujarat. When, when you talk about arid zones, dry zones, Karnataka has the second largest arid zones, dry zones in the country. And most of these are in northern Karnataka. So those areas are water starved. So the idea is to dam these, dam these rivulets going into Mahadai and divert that water for for drinking water needs for some key districts. And these three key districts are Dharwar, Velagavi, and Gadag, all in northern Karnataka. Once again, now the Goans are protesting because they're saying this is the water we need. 
because our river mondavi needs this water because without that our our besides the fact that we will we, we will suffer from shortage of water in the course of time also navigation will suffer because this water is needed to keep zuwari river navigable up to marmugao harbor and if that doesn't happen then goa's economy will suffer really badly so religious identity state identity so once again now the now the effort is to shift attention away from a maharashtra karnataka clash assertion of karnataka or karnataka identity versus maharashtra which is a larger state and where bjp might have even bigger stakes for the moment uh, but against goa which which doesn't count for very much so this then becomes a more this then becomes a better distraction and also this at least looks like a positive thing a constructive thing you are trying to provide drinking water to three three districts instead of fighting over borders between two states run by the same party then the third identity is the caste identity and that is where karnataka is the most cluttered and i must say that this has been an education for me so as i have spoken with dk singh and sharan pawana i have realized that karnataka karnataka caste politics is actually even more complex and fascinating than than that of any hindi heartland state so what is the issue in karnataka you might have recently seen these headlines about panchm shali lingayats now karnataka has in some ways at the broader level the same kind of caste breakup or that any other state in india might have that is upper caste scheduled castes or dalits and then some tribals and then many backward castes where it gets complex in case of karnataka is with backward caste now karnataka has 32% reservation for backward castes that 32% reservation however is further split up how is it split up right now it is split up in category 1 which is extremely backward castes ebc so 4% out of this 32% goes to ebc's category 1 then 28% remain next comes category 2a category 2a has most backward castes category 1 ha- category 1 has ebc's extremely backward castes category 2 has most backward castes so 15% of the reservations go so 4% have gone to category 1 ebc 15% to category 2 mbc so that is 17% out of the 32% gone who are these most backward who are these most backward castes these include the largest groups are kurubas kurubas are shepherds in fact sidaramaiah the former chief minister and congress party's preeminent chief ministerial uh, aspirant now is a kuruba then there are edigas then there are edigas who are toddy trappers and then there are other smaller castes so these are the most backward castes they get about half of all obc reservation that is 15% out of 32 four had gone to category 1 ebc then you come to category 2b category 2b has muslims so these are those muslims who qualified to be among backward castes and these things have been done within the state many states have made these distinctions or these decisions in their state so 4% goes to the muslims under category b so 4% ebc 15% mbc 4% muslims that that's category 2b that's 23% out of 32 gone 9% remain how does how does the pie cut for those 9% there is category 3a which is for which is for vocal ligas now vocal ligas in lingayats if you've been following karnataka politics vocal ligas in lingayats are the two most dominant and talked about castes 
in Karnataka politics. Usually, the party that has the vote of one of the two, of either of the two, usually the party that dominates one of the two rules the state. In the past, it was okay because Congress dominated everything. But once that broke, Congress was generally left with the backward caste, Dalit, tribal and Muslim minority vote. Vokaliga vote went to their own leader. So a leadership emerged from among Vokaligas, the Gauda family. So the Gauda family came to dominate the Vokaliga vote. And so they formed their own party. And in that process, got the chief ministership thrice. Once the old man himself, Mr. S.K. Devagauda, and twice the son in partnership. Once with BJP, once with Congress. That story you know very well. The BJP acquired a big sway over the Lingayat vote. And that happened in the immediate aftermath of Rajiv Gandhi's totally thoughtless humiliation and public humiliation of Virendra Patil, who was then chief minister, quite sick Congress chief minister, and the tallest Lingayat leader at that point. So that turned the Lingayats against the Congress and they went to the BJP. Now, both parties now have to find a way of accommodating Lingayats and Vukaligas. BJP does not want to lose any of the Lingayat vote. The Gaudas worry that some of their Vokaliga vote would go here and there because Gaudas are not seen as very powerful people right now or, or, or people likely to form a government. So the Vokaligas have 4% reservation in category 3A and Lingayats who happen to be a few more in number than Vokaligas. If Vokaligas are about 14% of Karnataka, Karnataka's vote, then Lingayats would be about 15 to 70% of Karnataka's vote. So category 3A, Vokaligas get 4% of the reservations, OBC reservations. And category 3B, that is Lingayats and Virashaivas, who are sort of, uh, who have many similarities, they get 5%. So this, this is how this pie of 32% is cut in Karnataka right now. Whereby these communities, Lingayats and Vokaligas, Get the, get the reservations already kept aside for them, that's 4% and 5% respectively. But also, they get the spillover from economically weaker section reservations. Now, EWS reservations, that was a central uh, constitutional amendment, that is 10%. Given how high backward caste reservation is in Karnataka, the belief is, that so many of EWS seats are not filled by others. So there is a spillover. So a lot of the seats go unfilled. So these seats can then be transferred to this new category of 2CND where Vokaligas and Lingayat feature. So they get the benefit of more of these constitutionally. Is it possible? Constitutionally, can you transfer seats that are reserved on economic basis to a category which is based on caste is something that we don't know and to me it sounds unlikely because this is now election needs. So you can make these promises whether you can keep them or not tomorrow, whether they are constitutional or not. So when you're playing this game of identity, 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 identity. And why do I say that? Four times because first identity is Hindu as in versus the Muslim. Second identity is Indian patriot, right? That is Tukre Tukre gang etc, etc, Tipu Sultan, etc. All the Tipu Sultan is more Hindutva than nationalism. Third identity is Kannadiga. I am entitled to water of my rivers, even if they are rivulets. And fourth identity is my caste, sub-caste, then the section of the sub-caste. And within the castes and sub-castes, these caste groups in Karnataka are also under the sway of their Mathas and Mathadishis. That's why you will find politicians, even Amit Shah, when he was in Mandya, he had the chief of 
the large section of vocaligas the largest vocaliga mutt sitting with him so how this how these mutts work and how these matha deshes work is an entirely different story and i am asking sharan pawana to at some point give you a proper rundown on this both in text and on video so please watch out for that as far as i am concerned in conclusion all i will say is that i am humbled i am truly humbled to realize how little we know about the politics of many parts of our country especially the south and also as political analysts how much are we missing out on because this politics is every bit as fascinating and interesting and exciting and cluttered as that of any other state in the country especially the hindi heartland states that we seem to be so obsessed with